Welcome to the River Bluff Church Sermon Podcast. We hope you enjoy this sermon from Lead Pastor Joe Still. And for more information about us, please visit riverbluff.org. Well, good morning. I want to begin our time uh, this morning together uh, with a moment of prayer. And I want to do that out of a passage of scripture that is probably familiar to you. Uh, but I think it's a, it was just a powerful message to my heart. Um, it's in Isaiah chapter 6. And the first verse of Isaiah chapter 6 begins this way. In the year that King Uzziah died. Now, we are living in a season in our nation when there's incredible turmoil politically. It would have been like a cakewalk here compared to what that means. When a king died, all kinds of things broke loose in a nation. Alliances fell. They were susceptible to now attacks from the outside. If the king had more than one son heir to the throne, oftentimes civil war would break out. It, it was a very tumultuous, scary, fear-filled time for the people of God just in the reading of that one statement. And so often we kind of blow by that. In the year that King Uzziah died, Isaiah says this, I saw the Lord. We need a clear vision of the Lord. We need to see the Lord, and we need to see him the way Isaiah saw him. Look at what it says. He was high. He was lifted up. The train of his robe, it filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. And with two he covered his face. And with two he covered his feet. And with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. We need a vision of God like that. But here's the truth about us. We can have an even greater vision than Isaiah had because he did not see Jesus seated at the right hand of the Father. We do. And the Bible says he's interceding for us so we can have this vision of God seated on his throne, high and lifted up, angels singing, holy, 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 meaning there's nobody else like our God. And Jesus is seated as his right hand interceding, praying for you. We need that kind of vision. We need to see that as we pray. Pray with me. Father God, we come giving thanks that you are on your throne, that no matter, God, who is in the White House or in Congress, or it doesn't matter because you're on your throne and you're ruling over all the earth. This earth is filled with your glory and we want, we want to see even more of your glory. Come to this old earth, God. Come to our nation. Come, come to River Bluff Church. Come into our lives. We need your glory, God. We want to see you filling this place. And Jesus, we're grateful that our vision is also of you seated at the right hand of the Lord God Almighty, your Father, our Father, and you're interceding for us. And so we come now to worship you, Jesus, to lift high your name so that we might draw near to God. 
We long for that vision. We long to worship you. We come saying, you are holy. You are beautiful. We draw near to you now, God, knowing that you will draw near to us. So we come now to worship you in spirit and in truth. And it's in the name of Jesus that we sing and praise and make our requests known. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Grab your Bibles, if you would, and as you're grabbing them, uh, you may want to make your way, first of all, to 1 Corinthians 3 and mark it, okay? And then once you've gotten there, go back to 2 Chronicles 7, and we're going to jump into that in just a second. I want to explain a little bit about this. Um, many of you know that we're uh, an Operation Christmas Child Church. We, we believe and support that ministry. It's a great ministry to see the gospel of Jesus spread around the world. Oftentimes we think of it that these gifts um, go to kids. Uh, sometimes we are connected to the reality that every time a box is given away, there is a gospel presentation made. Um, what oftentimes we don't realize, or I didn't realize until I saw one in live and living color, is that their parents are there listening to the gospel presentation and in the, the settings I was in, the few times we got to see it happen, they were more captivated by the gospel story than even their children were. It was a beautiful thing just to see that what we do here makes a difference globally in some dynamic ways to see people step into the kingdom of God. So I want to encourage you to do that. Uh, this year is a little bit different because of COVID. They've come up with a way for you to build your box online. And so if you do that and you want to, you can just come sign the, the chart saying, hey, you know, our family built a box too. Um, you don't have to, uh, but we'd just like to know how, how that's going in our church. And, um, and then we just kind of stack them on the stage uh, until November 22nd when we will transport them to the distribution center locally. Um, I think our closest one is at Crossroads. Thank you, Dave. Uh, he saw me struggling there. Y'all may have to help me the rest of the day, too. Some that, that may happen. Um, but uh, So it's a great ministry. I want to encourage you to be in, engaged in, in that ministry. Now, I want to I start in Second Chronicles uh, today. That is going to be our text. I'm going to start reading um, this morning in verse 12. Before I do that, let me give you just a little bit uh, of quick background. Um, King David at this point has died. Now, King David wanted to build God a dwelling place on earth, a temple. That was, that was the heart of King David. He wanted to do that, but God told him, no, you're not gonna be the one to do that. Your son will. And so David has now passed, and the book of Second Chronicles opens, and it opens telling us a little bit about Solomon and his life. And then chapters two through six are about the temple construction, uh, elements in the temple, those kinds of things. And chapter 6 especially is uh, about the dedication of the temple. And it was a great dedication. There is a great prayer in there. Um, one of the things is we're going through this 40 days of prayer uh, journey together. I would encourage you as much as you often as you've come across them, when you come across prayers in the Bible, note them. Make a note, right? Be, be able to get back to them because Solomon does a great job of teaching us what it looks like to pray a prayer of dedication to the Lord. And there are times when we need to dedicate ourselves or our children or our house or something to the Lord and uh, what Solomon prays can be a, a, a very great, 
guide there. And so Solomon does this, and then there's a, a celebration, a feast that takes place over the course of about seven or eight days. Um, and, uh, and then all, kind of the, the celebration begins to, 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 to come to an end. And we pick up there uh, in verse 12 of Second Chronicles chapter 7. And it says this, Then the Lord appeared to Solomon in the night. This was just God and Solomon. Appeared to Solomon in the night, and he said to him, I have heard your prayer. God said, I heard you. And I have chosen this place. And he's talking about the temple now that Solomon's built. I have chosen this place for myself as a house, as a home, as a dwelling place for sacrifice. When I shut up the heavens so that there is no rain or command the locusts to devour the land or send pestilence among my people, if my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. This is God still speaking, verse 15. Now my eyes will be open and my ears attentive to the prayer that is made in this place, in this temple, in this dwelling place. For now I have chosen and consecrated this house that my name may be there forever. And my eyes and my heart will be there for all time. Now this, this is the word of the Lord. And this is a, a, what I think of is an incredible promise. And we're going to spend most of our time today walking through that passage of Scripture. Specifically, we're going to look at verse 14 a great deal. But before we do, I want you to go back and focus on verse 12. Verse 12, God says that I have chosen this place for myself as a house, as a, as a home, as a dwelling place. And that was the physical structure of the temple. Now, I told you to find uh, over in 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Because in the Old Testament, the Old Testament, the, God's people had a relationship with God based on a covenant of the law. In the New Testament, there's a new covenant that Jesus made. He, uh, he told us about it in the Lord's Supper the night before he was crucified. Um, and it's a covenant in his blood, the Bible tells us. It's a covenant of God's grace. And so th- there are some things that change in uh, the New Testament, and one of those is the location of God's dwelling place, okay? In the Old Testament, it was the temple, this physical building. In the New Testament, Paul writes this in verse 16 of, of Corinthians chapter 3, 1 Corinthians 3. He says, do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's Spirit dwells in you? For God's temple is holy and you are that temple, now, in the Old Testament, God's dwelling place was that physical building, that construction, that uh, structure that Solomon had built. But in the New Testament, it is those who have trusted in Christ, those who have come in covenant with God, covenant relationship with God through the shed blood of Jesus. Now, what I want to do today is I want to point out what God said in the Old Testament, a promise that God made. Um, about the temple and what he will do in that place if his people will do certain things. And so this morning, I want us to talk and think about healing because that's what God said he would do 
uh, in, in the Old Testament, he, he ends that verse 14 by talking about bringing healing to the land. Now, normally this passage is applied to a nation. Normally that's where it is. And um, I could probably look at you and ask you, um, do you think personally that our nation is in need of healing? And you would reply, yes, absolutely, no question. Everybody knows that. But this is not primarily a message about the need for the healing of our nation. Because I believe that in order for our nation to be healed, our communities have got to be healed. And our homes have to be healed. And our families have to be healed. And our marriages have to be healed. And our lives have to be healed. Our minds, our bodies, our souls have to be healed. The healing needs to come to God's people. And so I want you to look with me. We're going to unpack this passage, verse 14 of 2 Chronicles 7, that's familiar. But I want us to walk through it together today. And it starts out this way. If my people who were called by my name. And so this, this promise that we're about to see is not for everybody. This is only for God's people. Only for the people of God. It's not a promise to everybody who's a creation of God. It's only for the people of God. So somebody say, who are the people of God? Well, somebody asked Jesus that one day. Um, and Jesus answered that question. They, they kind of said it, it was this event where Jesus had been speaking and his mom and a couple of his brothers and sisters showed up, his half-brothers and sisters showed up, and this guy came and said, hey, your family's here. And Jesus basically answered the question about who is the, in the family of God this way, Matthew chapter 12, verse 50. For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and my sister and my mother. Jesus is giving us a clear definition of who are God's people. And he's saying, it's those who did the will of my Father. Now that leads us, should lead everybody in here to ask and answer this question. Have I done the will of the Father? The ultimate will of God the Father is that you would receive his son Jesus. Have you done that? Have you come to a place in your life where you have realized that you were separated from God by your sin... And you have trusted that Jesus' death on the cross paid the penalty for your sin and that the power of his resurrection has been extended to you. If you've repented of your sin and you've put your faith, your trust, your hope in Jesus, then you are one of those who are known as the people of God. You're in the family. This promise is to you, if my people. You're his peeps. You're his people if you've trusted in his son. It's not a promise for everybody. It's only a promise for God's people. Second thing I want you to notice, if my people who are called by my name, have you ever been ashamed for somebody to find out that you're a Christian? Have you ever didn't want to be kind of identified, maybe at work or at school or, or someplace? God's word says, if my people who are called by my name. Now, we live in a world that I find that most everybody these days wants you to know what they think about everything. Except Christians. Sometimes we don't want people to know that we follow Jesus. Friends, nowhere in this book 
Nowhere is there a space for a secret agent Christian. Nowhere. You're not going to find it. Paul, who was discipling a young man named Timothy, wrote to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 2. He said this, let everyone who names the name of the Lord depart from iniquity. And part of what he's saying there is you need to be named by the name of Jesus. If you're a follower of Jesus, you need to go by his name. You need to stand up and say, you need to be named with Jesus. I'm, I'm one of his. It's my people who are called by my name. Look even further at Jesus. Jesus said something powerful about this idea in Mark chapter 8, verse 38. He says, For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation. Does that sound like a generation you might know? An adulterous and sinful generation? If, if you're ashamed of me, he says, of him the Son of Man will also be ashamed of when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. Oh my goodness, I don't want that for anybody. I don't want it for me. I don't want it for you. I don't want anybody to come face to face with Jesus and see that he is ashamed of you. I know you don't want that either. You don't want to be ashamed. You, you want to be called by his name. So go, wear, wear the name of Jesus. Don't make Jesus ashamed. Now, again, I want you to look at the whole passage, that whole verse. If my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face, turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven. I will forgive their sins, and I will heal their land. There's just some powerful, uh, something powerful about this verse that really speaks to all of the, almost all the promises of God. God has made some promises that are conditional. Some are unconditional. The, the promise that God made that Jesus is coming back, it's not dependent on what you do. Not at all. He's coming back. Okay? Praise God. But there are some promises that God has made that are conditional. There are premises attached to many of the promises of God. And that's true in 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14. It's an if-then statement. If you will do this, then I will do this. And God makes some if premises about the promise of healing. And I want you to see those. We want to walk through those real quickly, those, those premises. The first one is this. You have got to reveal your need. You have to have your, the need that you have revealed to yourself, and then you've got to be willing to reveal that to God. You've got to realize it, and you've got to say it to God that you realize I'm not in control, God. You got to realize you need God. That's that's the starting place. The Bible has a very simple single word to communicate what that is. And it's the word humility. Humility is that act where I realize how desperate I am for God. And so in his premise to the promise of healing, God says, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves will do this thing called humility. See, one of the things that, that humility does is humility doesn't approach God arrogantly. Uh, humility doesn't come to God flippantly saying, yeah, hey, hey there, big daddy in the sky. You know, there, there are people who approach God kind of like the, you know, the big man up there. We need to come to God respectfully, hum, humbly. God says, approach me that way, when you're coming, seeking healing or restoration, come to me that way. Now, one of the things that I haven't found, if you find it, please point it out to me. 
But I've yet to find in Scripture where God's Word tells us to pray for humility. In fact, I would recommend, based on what I've seen in Scripture, that you not pray for God to humble you. Because that usually, anytime I see God humbling a human being, it's humiliation. So I would, I would discourage you from praying for humility. Humility is not something you need to seek. It's something you need to do. Humility is just simply a choice. You choose to posture yourself humbly before God. You choose to drop the arrogance. You choose to, to drop the pride. Humility is a choice, and it is a very, very important choice to make because God's Word says that God responds to humility in some incredible ways to those who are, are humble. And I want to show you four. There, there are others, but I want to show you four things real quickly that God's response when we humble ourselves. First of all, the Bible says that God guides the humble. When I come to God in humility, God will give me his guidance. I don't know if you've ever felt like, I, 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 don't, I don't know whether I should go this way or that way. I don't know whether I should hold on to this or, or let go of this. I don't, I don't know whether I should get in this or get out of this. You need the guidance of God. And God says that he will guide those who are humble. Look at Psalm 25, verse 9. He says, he leads the humble in what is right and teaches the humble his ways. When you don't know which way to turn, which way to go, what decision to make, you're confused, you're, you're frustrated, the best thing you can do is get humble before the Lord. Humble yourself, and he will direct your path. He will guide you. Let me give you a second way that God responds to humility that can bless you, and, and it's this. Not only will he guide you, he will bless you. Look at Isaiah chapter 66, verse 2. It says, I, the Lord, have spoken. I will bless those who have humble and contrite hearts. God doesn't bless those filled with pride. God doesn't bless big egos. God doesn't bless people who secretly think that they are better than other people. God says, I bless the humble. I bless those who, who live in humility. This isn't in your notes. You may just want to write it down somewhere. Greatest sermon ever preached, Sermon on the Mount. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 5, Jesus says this about the humble in heart. He said they're blessed of God, and they will be the ones who shall inherit the earth. And I believe that's the new earth, the, re the, 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 the redeemed earth, when Jesus comes back and makes everything right. See, a huge part of what God does is he, 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 he wants to bless you. A third way the Bible tells us that God responds when we come to him in humility is that God gives grace to the humble. God loves to pour out his grace. And here's what grace is. Grace primarily is given as a power from God for you to change. Are there some things right now in your life that you wish could change? Why haven't they? Maybe it's because you you haven't humbled yourself in the presence of God to be given the grace, the power from God to change. It's, it may not just be because you, not because you don't want to. It may be you don't have the power. God's grace is the power for you to change. Look at this passage in James chapter 4, verse 6. It says he gives more grace. God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. The, the, the more you walk in humility before God, the more grace... God gives you. The more prideful you walk in the presence of God, the more arrogant 
you are, the more of a know-it-all you are. Do you know what the Bible says that makes you? It makes you an opponent of God. How many of you have ever heard the saying that your arms are too short to box with God? You ever heard that? Well, they are. You don't want to be an opponent of God. He could punch your lights out. You wouldn't see it coming. Your arms are too short to box with God. You don't want to be his opponent. You don't want to be filled with pride. You want to humble yourself so that you will receive his grace. God says when you walk in humility, I will guide you. I will bless you. I will give you the grace you need to transform your life to to change those things in your life that need changing. And then a, a fourth way that God responds when we walk in humility with him is he gives our souls rest. He gives soul rest, that kind of rest that is deep in your soul to those who walk in humility with him. You know what that means? It means he'll relieve your stress. He'll give your soul rest. You won't be so, so stressed. Jesus said in Matthew eleven twenty nine, he said, take my yoke upon you, and, and, and yoke was like his teaching. And then what he, look what he says, and he, he says, and learn from me. Notice he, he now names two characteristics of himself that we need to learn from him. For I am gentle, and I am humble in heart. We need to learn the gentleness of Jesus. We need to learn the humility of Jesus from Jesus. And Jesus says, when you do, you will find rest for your souls. Anybody feeling a little stressed out these days? You can't, you can't live in this nation and not. It's gone crazy out there. The only way that you can live in this nation and not be soul stressed is to find soul rest in Christ alone. But so many these days feel tapped out. You know, nothing left in the, in the faucet. They, they feel like they've thrown in the towel, you know, they're... All those kinds of expressions that we use, that's where so many have gone. People who study what's going on in, in the human psyche right now tells us that we're all kind of frayed to the, to the edge. How do you get deep soul rest? You come to God with a humble spirit. Jesus says, learn from me. Learn from me gentleness. Learn from me humility. And God responds in incredible ways. When, when we come and say, God, I know I'm not in control. I, I, I've got this need, God. I, I just come. The Bible says that's humility. It's a starting point. Admitting to God that you're not in control, that you have a need of him because you realize he's God, you're not. Second kind of step, if you would, second premise that we've got to live out if we want to find the healing of God on our lives, we've got to re request help from God. You've got to say, God, I need your help. And if, if you will humble yourself, this gets easy. It's easier to ask once you're humble to, to, to go to God and say, God, I need this from you. I need healing from you. You've got to take your request to God. That's why 2 Chronicles seven fourteen says, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and do what? Pray. Pray. Talk to God about what's going on in your life. Now, I know this is a little scary for some people to ask God for healing, to ask God to heal your mind or to heal your body or to heal your marriage. 
Because you think if I, if I ask and it doesn't happen, what do, I, what do I have left? And so you need to know that there are some things about asking God that God says, I've already given you. And I want you to know you have them already. One of the things that God wants you to have going to him in prayer is confidence. He wants you to have confidence. In John chapter 16, Jesus said, truly, truly. If you're reading God's word and you come to a passage of scripture where Jesus says, truly, truly, you should stop and, 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 and pick up. The, the, Jesus is talking truth here. You need to, you need to get it. And he says, truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Until now you have asked nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive that your joy, you need some joy, that your joy may be full. Over 20 times in the New Testament, we are commanded by God's word to ask him. This verse from John tells me two things real quickly about asking God. The first one is this. Jesus wants me to ask. It's not my idea to ask the Father. Jesus wants me to ask his Father. I love the way he he taught disciples to pray. He said, say, our Father. Jesus' Father is my Father. He's your Father if you're in Christ. He's our Father. Ask. Jesus wants us to ask our Father. It was, it was his idea. We, we've been talking about prayer now for a little bit uh, over a month. And I don't know if you've ever wondered, why, why does God, the Bible says he knows what I need. Why does he want me to ask? Because the greatest need you have is to trust him totally. And the only way that you will ever trust God is to ask him for something and watch him deliver. So that you'll ask again and watch him deliver. And you'll ask again and watch him deliver. You know that's what parenting is like? A, a, a parent will trust, a child will trust their parent when there's this pattern that is developed where a child asks for a need that they have and a parent meets that need. Uh, we have a four-month-old granddaughter. And the way that she lets her mommy know that she has a need is she hollers. You know, I need to eat. I need my nappy changed, you know. Uh, we, we need those. And as, as Caitlin and Andrew meet her needs, she trusts them. Your father knows that about you. That the only way that you will ever really grow to trust in him is to see him meet your needs. And so he says, ask me. And Jesus said, don't just ask him you know, out of the blue, ask him in my name. And there's something powerful about that because the name of Jesus gives you access to the Father. What Jesus did on the cross makes access to God possible for you and me. It, it, think of it a little bit like this. Think of a, a restaurant maybe that, you know, you can't afford to go to. And, you know, it's one of those reservation places and all that kind of stuff. And, um, and you show up at this restaurant one day, and you walk up and, and you say, I'd, uh, I'd, I'd like to, to eat dinner, please. And they say, is your name? On a re- no, my name's not on a reservation. But you go there with confidence that you're going to get to get in because the week before, you helped a stranded motorist. And that motorist, his name was Rick, and, and he owned that restaurant. And he said, look, I would love to have you come to my restaurant. I'll make a great meal for you. 
You don't even have to ask for a reservation. Just show up and say, Rick sent you. And so you walk into the restaurant, you sashay up to the, that front desk, and you just say, I, I'd like a table, please. And they say, you, do you have, no, I don't have a reservation. They say, well, sorry, Rick sent me. To pray in Jesus' name means to go to God and say, Father, Jesus sent me. Jesus sent me. He told me to come. You have access to God. You have the right to ask in Jesus' name because you've been sent there by Jesus. And that's a powerful, wonderful, beautiful thing. And Jesus wants you to know that. He wants you to know that you can trust this Father. He's going to meet you your need. He wants you to know you have access because of Jesus. You have access, so pray and ask in Jesus' name. One other verse that I want you to see about asking. Paul writes to the church at, at Ephesus about, about prayer, and he says this. Pray in the Spirit, uh, chapter 6, verse 18. Pray in the Spirit at all times with all kinds of prayers, asking for everything you need. To this you must always be ready and never give up. Always pray for all God's people. If you write in your Bible, you may want to circle all those alls and always. That's a lot of alls in just a couple of verses. Okay, Paul is saying, you know what, what, what this tells me? Paul is saying our asking needs to be tenacious. We just need to be tenacious in our asking, confident that we can because of, of Jesus, but we need to be tenacious. We just need to keep on praying. Don't, don't stop praying for something. When, when you have a need, you, you go to God. If you need healing, you keep praying. You keep praying. You keep asking. And here's why. Your job is to ask God's job is to time the delivery of the request, the answer, okay? Your job is to ask. God is responsible for timing the answering of that prayer. And so I just keep asking until God responds. Now, sometimes when, when, when I'm praying for healing for myself or someone else, sometimes it happens quickly. blows me away. Sometimes it hasn't happened yet, and I've been praying for years. And we need to be tenacious and keep praying because I'm responsible for asking. God's responsible for timing out when the delivery comes. So I start with humility. I'm not in control, God. And then I come with a humble heart asking. Which leads to the third thing that 2 Chronicles 7.14 says, If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face, God says, Friends, it's okay, it's okay to ask God for a miracle. It's okay to go to God seeking healing. But here's a premise that you need to grab hold of. It's the third premise is we need to regard God greater than I do any healing. I need to, 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 I need to long for God. I need to seek God more than I do a miracle. See, it didn't say if my people called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek a miracle or seek a sign or, 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 or seek a healing or seek prosperity or seek stuff from God. It says, seek my face. If my people will do that, seek my face. Now, again, it's not wrong for you to ask of God, but it is wrong if you ask with a heart that thinks God is like your miracle vending machine, that you just kind of walk up. You pop a little prayer in and expect to get what you want. You have no time for God other than that moment. 
when you pray asking for something. God's word says if you want to see the healing God released in your life, one of the premises is you've got to seek his face. You've got to come seeking God above anything else that you ask for. Beyond seeking the blessing, seeking him. And so what that means is, is you come saying, God, I have a need, but if I don't get this need met the way that I think I need it, I'll get to know you more. And I'm good with that. God, I, I, as much as I want this, I want you more. I want to know you more. That, that's seeking the face of God. It's God, this is what I think I need, but you know what's best for me. So I come seeking you. I come seeking you to tell me what's best for me. Answer it. And if out of this whole ordeal, if out of this chronic pain that I'm suffering, if, if out of God, this uh, kind of enduring relationship that's kind of broken right now, God, if out of this, this suffering, if out, of, if out of being laid off, if out of this brokenness in my marriage, if, if out of the, the losing of someone that I love, if out of all that I'm drawn closer to you, I, Father, I'll endure that to know more of you. But I'm asking, God. Here's here's what I'm asking for. God says this about seeking him. Proverbs 8, verse 17. God says this, I love those who love me and those who seek me diligently find me. That that word diligently means it's not like a casual pastime kind of thing. It's not like, you know, sloppy kind of seconds kind of thing there. It's it's not anything like that. It's, It's going to God first. It's not like, God, after I've, I'm done with my shows or after I've, I've done checking Facebook and Instagram and every other social media thing out there. God, if I got, oh, no, I got to go to the gym next, God. It, it's, it's putting God first. It's seeking him diligently before all those things. The Bible wants us to, to go that way. That's what it means to seek him diligently. He becomes the primary focus of my life. You know, you, you don't become a an Olympic athlete by just kind of showing up when you want to. You you have to diligently pursue that. And what God is saying is that's what he loves, is people who diligently pursue him. Look at this verse from Psalm 14. It says, The Lord looks down from heaven on the children of man to see if there are any who understand. Any who seek after God. The Bible says that God is, God is just kind of looking over the earth. And it almost gives you the impression that it's hard for him to find people who are diligently seeking him. But that's what God longs for. He, he longs to do that. But here's what most of us want. Most of us want just enough of God to get the blessing. We just want just enough of God to get the blessing. Not, we don't want enough of God where he actually changes the things about us that he wants changed. And so if you have found your life kind of over the long haul stuck, maybe stuck in a habitual you know, issue or, or, or just kind of feeling like you're, you're not moving forward in life, one of the questions that you've got to ask in your relationship with God is, God, am I seeking your face? Maybe if, if your relationships all feel stuck, if, you're, if you have this habit that's still controlling you, it might be because you, you've been seeking the breakthrough, but you haven't been seeking the one who gives breakthrough. 
And God wants us to seek his face. And the Bible says that God loves the humble and that he, he, he wants to bless those who are humble. But God says those who diligently seek him, he wants to bless your socks off. He just wants to pour out an incredible blessing on you. Look what Jesus said in Matthew 6, Jesus said, if you will seek the kingdom of God above all else, and you'll live righteously out of that seeking, he will give you everything that you need. That verse tells me that there's almost nothing that God will not do for the man, for the woman, for the boy, for the girl who diligently seeks God. There's almost nothing God won't do. He'll give you everything that you need. God says, look, I'll take care of that if you're diligently seeking me, earnestly seeking me with with your whole heart. Not just seeking blessings, not just seeking miracles or signs, but actually wanting to know me. God, God says for those people, I'm like all in with you. I'm, I'll be all in. Back to our verse. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. God's, God's dealing with this kind of fourth premise before we get to the promise. And it's this idea of dealing with our wicked ways. Now, when, when, I, when I say the word wickedness, what comes to your mind other than the, you know, the Broadway play? What comes to your mind? Okay? <laughs> Usually there's all kinds of evil. We, we think of things like terrorism and murder and rape and genocide. We, we think of like, oh man, just crazy evil off the chart kind of thing. When the Bible speaks of wickedness, especially in the Old Testament, when the Bible speaks of wickedness, primarily the definition is you forgot God. That the essence of wickedness is forgetting God. All those other things are manifestations of a life that has forgotten God. And this is where dealing with our wickedness begins to to break down because what, what it means is, is we've got we, we've to come back to God. If wickedness is basically forgetting God, historically, in the scriptures, we've seen what's happened to the nation, to God's people, when they forgot God. I think we're seeing it in our nation. I think so much of our nation has forgotten God that we're seeing the results of that in in, in the expressions of wickedness. But it began when God's people have forgotten God. And so the fourth premise that I want you to be captured by to this promise is we've got to remember God and return to him. We've got to remember God and return to him. Isaiah chapter 17 verse 10 says this. If you have turned from the God, excuse me, you have turned from the God who can save you, you have forgotten the rock who can hide you. He says, you've turned, you've forgotten me. You've forgotten that I am your salvation. You have forgotten that I'm that place, that firm foundation where you can hide, where you can be cared for, where you can, it's that place of protection and safety. God says, you've, for, you've forgotten me. You've forgotten God. And you're living in a wicked way when you have forgotten me. There's also this word, turn and in in the hebrew word it literally means to return it means to come back to god uh, the new testament term is repent 
In the New Testament, there's a Greek word metanoia, and it means to, to repent. It means to be going in a direction and turn completely around. It, it, it means that you turn away from the bats. And it doesn't just mean like a 90-degree turn. It means a complete turn and going the other direction. Repent means I've been kind of going this way, dealing in this bad stuff, and now I'm, I'm going to turn and I'm going to go this way. I'm going to choose uh, the, the better path and in the opposite direction. It, it, it means to repent. And that's what God is saying here is you need to turn from, from your wicked ways. You need to turn from having for, forgotten me. You, you, you turn from, you know, thinking that, okay, I think that was good, but it wasn't good. And I turn and I turn to what is good. It, it's, it's, it's saying I used to value this, but that's not good. And so now I, I turn and I, I value this. It's, it's that, that thinking that, you know, uh, reproductive rights are, are more valuable than the life of an unborn child. It, it's, that, it's that repenting. It's changing my mind. It's changing my mind about things like success. It's changing my mind about thinking something matters more than God. It's changing my mind about my past and, and my future. That's repentance. It's turning my attention to the, to the right way. Now, here's the deal. So many people think about the word repent as a negative word. You know, we think about some wild, hairy guy on a street corner with a sign that says, you know, turn or burn. You know, if you don't, you'll fry while we're heading to the sky. I don't know, something like that. The, uh, we have that idea of what repentance, repentance is one of the most beautiful words in the human language. This concept of repentance. It's not a negative term. Repentance is this, look, when I repented, I, I, I left shame behind and found forgiveness. When, when I repented, I, I left purposelessness behind and found a purpose for, for my life. I left darkness for, for light. I, I, I left bitterness for love. When I repented, that's what repentance does. It, 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 it'll turn you from a shallow life to a life of significance. Repentance was the, the best decision I ever made and then made again and then made again because you have to keep repenting in this life. As God shows you something new. Now I want to I kind of bring this message to a close and get to the promise in just a second. By looking at just a couple more passages. Acts chapter 3 verse 19 says this. Repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out. Does anybody love the thought of that? Just my sins. Just God just going. Why, why, why. I just love every time I think about God wiping my sins out. And it goes on to say. That times of refreshing may come from the Lord. I don't even have to ask. I know. Some of you are saying that's kind of presumptuous. Well, yeah, I'm just going to be presumptuous for a minute. I know that everybody, every one of you, including me, we need a refreshing from the Lord. We, we just need it. We're desperate. Our nation needs a refreshing of the Lord. And that comes when our sins get wiped out, when we, when we confess, when we repent and confess. Proverbs chapter 28 verse 13 says this, people who conceal their sins will not prosper. But if they confess and turn from them, but they repent, they will receive mercy. 